Hey guys, this is Kyle Klammer. And this is Zach Welch. And this is? The Good Life Bowhunter, official podcast of the NBA. That it is. We're back here. Good to be back, man. It is. Always is. Yeah, for sure. So, um, real quick here, um, we got a, we got a special guest on today for um, fellow NBA member. Um, we're going to wait just a minute and let him introduce himself in just a second, but before we get to that, let's uh, just want to have Zach go ahead and give us a couple quick uh, announcements, um, updates on a few things NBA related. So, Zach, you want to go ahead? Yeah. So, I think the biggest thing is a lot of people are probably wondering what they're going to do for the banquet this year, what it's going to look like. Um, I guess to make a long story short, they had a meeting a couple weekends ago and voted that uh, they're going to go ahead and have the banquet this year. Still going to be that first weekend in March. I believe it's the fifth or sixth, um, whatever that first weekend is. And yeah, they're going to go through with it. As far as details, I don't know exactly what it'll look like. I'm sure it'll be a little different than years past, obviously, with everything going on and stuff might change here in the next couple of weeks with yeah. you know, people taking office and that. So we're going to play it by ear, but um, yeah, we're, we're going to go ahead and have it. And if you know, every detail you need to know is going to be in the upcoming newsletter, um, if you don't find it there, look on the website or the Facebook page. Everything you need to know should be right there. So, definitely, yeah, I think I think that's probably the right decision. Just let people decide what they want to do. Um, yep, exactly. I mean, I see both sides of it. You know, there's absolutely reason to have caution, and I don't blame them one bit. If you don't want to come, you know, I completely understand, and mm-hmm. I'll leave it up to to the people to decide. But uh, yeah, they voted to have it, so if you can make it. Sure, sure be happy to see you there. So definitely. So very good. Um anything else? Uh nope. I think that's it. Okay, perfect. Well, with that, uh we've got on Orin Seidel. Um or uh Orby as he's known in the inner circles. But uh <laughs> <laughs> um hey man, go ahead and just uh introduce yourself and um yeah, I mean, I think we've we've had you on before, but uh, just give everybody a brief intro, and we'll go from there. So, yeah, you bet. Um, well, thanks for having me on. Um, name's Oren Seidel. Grew up in uh, Ainsworth, Nebraska, up in the Sand Hills up there, and been bow hunting. I, I have had a bow in my hand ever since I was just a little kid, but really started taking it serious probably when I was around 15 years old. So, 17 years experience now, roughly, and pretty much been an NBA member about that same amount of time. So, I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. Yeah, man. It's good stuff. Speaking of that, um, how'd you get started in the NBA? Um, so, what led me to the NBA was Mike and Eric Albrecht. Um, they're pretty much the ones that got me into bow hunting, period. Um, Eric was always talking about the banquet and the jamboree and how much fun that stuff was. And so one year I decided to tag along to the banquet and been going ever since. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I know you guys, uh, I mean, you've been helping out with various things with the NBA for a long time. And um, I know most recently, like last year, you guys, you and, you and Jake are kind of manning the jamboree the past couple years. And so 
I, I know I can speak for myself and I think everybody else that we definitely appreciate that very much. So that's not a small undertaking by any means. So <laughs> no, no, it's not. And I, I'll tell you what, I got a lot more respect for the guys that did it prior to us taking it over because there was a lot more entailed in that than I realized. But honestly, I loved doing it. It was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun. I got to meet a lot more people inside the NBA that I had seen for years, but never really got a chance to formally meet, you know, so that was pretty cool. And just all the appreciation you get from everybody, you know, it was, it, it was a lot of fun. I, I still plan on helping out when and where I can. Likewise, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's always good time, but, um, Awesome, man. Well, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, or we pretty much, you know, I'd talked to you a while back about being on, uh, you know, for a, for a couple reasons. Um, you know, one, obviously, because you're an NBA member, and I think everybody always enjoys hearing from fellow NBA members. I mean, you know, we have some other guests on it too, but I think that always hits home for a lot of people is just having on, uh, you know, guys that uh, are in the club and um, active and, um, just enjoy hearing from them. And, um, but the one thing that I definitely wanted to, to talk about was, you know, talk us just, you know, and you can take as much time as you want with this. Um, and I really mean that cause, um, I just think this is pretty interesting, but, you know, talk us through your journey here, you know, just the past, um, you know, a couple of years with kind of getting more involved in, uh, traditional archery and, um, I do want, I do have some more specific questions, but I'll just kind of let you run with that and maybe we'll just see where that goes. So, All right. Yeah, you bet. Well, when we get to the more specific questions, I hope I got a good answer for you because it's still a learning curve for, for me myself. But No, no, it's, it's, it's fine. We'll, it'll be good. I promise. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so I started getting into the traditional stuff seriously about three years ago now. and it is something that has always appealed to me and it's something that I always wanted to do. And for a lot of years, I just couldn't make myself take that step. And then finally, a few years ago, I'm like, you know what? There's no time like the present. So I, I bought me a cheap recurve. I bought a Samic Sage, which for anybody listening is a excellent starter bow anybody looking to get in traditional for, for very affordable. Um, there's been a lot of guys that have started out with them and killed a lot of stuff with them. Um, so I started with that and shot and shot and shot. And it took a lot of work for me to get to where I was comfortable hunting with that, limiting myself to 15 yards. The first year, that's what I said. I'm going to limit myself to 15 yards, and that's what I did. And I ended up shooting a shooting a small buck that first year with it. Mm-hmm. And it, actually, um, I was sitting in a blind, and my wife was with me, and that was supposed to be her buck. <laughs> <laughs> and I I gave her first chance, and she'll probably kick me in the behind for telling this story, but she plumb missed that buck. Well. That was her chance. So <laughs> I ended up letting one rip and smoked that thing and watched him go down right there. And I, I've been hooked ever since. It's It's been quite the journey. And I, I still 
still struggle. It is a big learning curve, but it is fun. It's almost kind of like learning archery all over again for me, you know. Kind of, I kind of felt like a little kid starting all over. It was actually fun to go shoot again instead of making myself go shoot because I know I should. I couldn't wait to get home from work and start flinging arrows. Yeah. It's, it's the same way today. <laughs> I, I'd hate to know how much more I shoot now than I probably should have been when I was still shooting with my compound. I mean, don't get me wrong. I practiced quite probably more than a lot of people did but it's it's a lot of work but it's it's rewarding though yeah no there's there's something to be said about it I think for sure just you know I mean we you know we've we've talked to a couple traditional guys on here before and we've had Jake Downs on and I know we've had we've had you on before too but right um, you know just uh yeah it's uh I don't know. Just it's just a whole different world, man. You know, it's a. I was I always find it very intriguing, um, and I always like to hear about it. Just um, probably selfishly a little bit for myself, just because you know I, I sort of started kind of the opposite way, you know, and <laughs> I've sort of migrated away from it. I don't know why, but I always keep thinking someday I'll pick it back up, and I'm sure I will. But it just um, just is one of those things, you know. But. Well, um, when you got a when you got a new family at home and you're raising little ones, which which I'm in the same boat, so I get it. Yeah, it is tough to put forth the time and dedication it takes to be proficient with it. But I don't know. Somehow you find a way to get it done. Yeah. Well, you make time for the things that are important for you. You know, it just is what it is. So, but uh, yeah. Um, well, that no, that's great, man. Yeah, I yeah. I think you'd told me that story about that buck before, maybe not with all those details in there, but definitely part of that. But um, <laughs> um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about specifically, or it was the, um, you know, I, I, I follow your Instagram pretty closely and there's always a lot of cool stuff on there, but talk us through, you know, I know you've been working on, you know, kind of making some bows and, you know, talk about that process and how you got interested in that and, you know, kind of just, I mean, I have a lot of questions about it. So you just start going <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you, right. I'll tell you where we'll go from there. But and Zach, feel free to jump in, man. I'm just kind of not trying to. Oh, no, no worries. I'm just sitting back that I know Werby's full of information on the stuff. I'm sure I'll have a couple questions for him if you don't have them. I, I might be full of information, but I don't know if it's all good information. Well, we'll <laughs> take it however it is. If yep. good, it's take all right. it away. <laughs> um, yeah, so as far as the building bows goes, um, so here a few years ago, I was really intrigued and I had done a lot of research on trying to start making some laminated glass bows. And I was about ready to pull the trigger on getting, you know, all the stuff I needed to do that. And then I stumbled upon this guy on social media named Clay Hayes. And I don't know if any of the listeners know who that is or not, but he's a he's a pretty cool dude to follow. He does some pretty neat stuff with archery. But he got big making Osage self bows. And once I started following him, I'm like, man, that is I it just mesmerized me. I'm like, that's what I'm doing. And so I kind of ditched the whole laminated bow idea and decided I was going to try my hand at self bows. And and this is pretty new. Uh, this is within the last year that I have tackled, tackled this. Um, 
so to start out my my biggest hurdle was finding some osage I, there's a little bit around here locally but it's very little and what what there is is not good for for making bows so i ended up actually finding this landowner um down in kansas that had about a quarter mile shelter belt of this stuff that his dad planted i judging by the growth rings on the trees it had to be around 52 years ago and well he this guy just so happens he wants these trees out so i i've been kind of helping him with that i've made a couple trips down there and there it's it's pristine wood um so this so the landowner's dad actually pruned these trees um it looked like probably around the first 20 years of their lives and like i said i'm just going off growth rings when i'm splitting these things you can see where the branches had been cut off and then it grew back around them mm -hmm. um so they are straight straight grained very few knot stays for that first six foot so i i have got a pile of them at home the problem is is even once they're split into staves it still takes a minimum of a year to dry mm -hmm. before you can do much with them gotcha. so before i could find that osage i actually found some, some ash here locally which there is a lot of that and i'm like well i'm going to start working on this because I, I had some of that i'd cut prior and it was dry mm -hmm. and that's what i actually just finished a bow up out of that tree oh i don't know probably about two months ago and it's pretty cool it's it's pretty cool to zip an arrow out of something you built yourself it's i, I can definitely see how it's going to be addictive yeah yeah what uh Uri, what is it about osage um you know i i know i've heard that i mean uh -huh. and I, I remember i remember my family friend tom wellstead he got into making osage bows at one point and um and I, I i think he actually killed a couple deer with one that he made but um but i remember you know i at that point as a little kid i'd never even heard of osage orange let alone knew what you know what it was or whatever but right well you yeah. seen a whole bunch of it you just didn't know it all those crooked fence posts out in the sand hills oh yeah for sure yep. yeah yep. all the hedge posts hedge that's that's what yep. it did yep mm -hmm. Got yeah, it. Makes it, you know, a good good bow making material. I guess that's that was one question I had. Okay, so th there are some guys out there that could give you a little more detailed explanation of why that is. But in a nutshell, a lot of your woods are very good either under compression or tension. One of the two. Osage just happens to be very good at both. So as far as the back of the belly goes, and as far as the the belly goes, you know the back of the belly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so. It is it is premier on both ends of the spectrum. There, M most of your Osage bows, if you if you chase one ring the whole back of that bow, and and keep true to that ring and don't violate it, there's no need to apply any additional backing to the bow as far as you know rawhide or or whatever you want to use. That's that's what makes it so good. That makes sense, yeah. Because I mean, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense actually. Because you know, you think about a lot of those laminated bows; they use, you know, different materials, obviously for mm -hmm. uh, sometimes front versus back versus whatever. But that makes a lot of right. sense. So 
Yeah, that's interesting. You said, Orby, it, it takes about a year for that wood to dry on average, but uh, from start to finish, when you start working on a bow, from the time you actually have the, the materials and the wood's dried and everything, <clears throat> about how long does it take for you to put a bow together? Um, well, I'm, I'm speaking from the little bit of experience I got here, so, so take this with a grain of salt, and I'm, I'm sure that time will probably speed up as I start knocking some more bows out. Really, Zach, it it really depends. Um, it, it does not take very long to chase a ring and rough a bow out. You can do, you, really, I mean, you can do that in a day fairly easily. Where you start to run into it taking time is if you have to do some steaming and bending, or, or even if you do heat bending, for that matter. Um, say you need to bend the tips into alignment or you've got you know any kind of curves in it or whatever once you steam and bend that and let it take its new shape well then you have to let that wood dry again before you can start working on it which you know be a couple weeks or so depending on how thick that part of the bow is that you steamed um if you had a perfect piece of wood and it was dry and ready to go you could build one in a few days if you had a few dedicated days to set to it um but realistically couple couple from the time it's you start chasing that ring to a finished bow, a couple months would be a pretty realistic time frame. Yeah, I was thinking it was a little longer, but uh, like you said, if you got that perfect piece of wood, it only takes a day or so, but I'm guessing that's a pretty rare occasion. That that's, that that's pretty rare. That, that's, yeah, it, it is. It really is. Um, and then you got to figure family time and all that stuff. You you think you're going to get to it and then stuff comes up, but that's just life. That's how it goes. Um, as f I, I do want to touch on this just in case anybody listening decides to tackle this. That one year time frame that I gave you, that is for a log that has been cut into staves. Okay. If you're letting a whole log dry, it's going to take probably a few years. Right. But if you cut that log green and when you do that, you need to take either like some Elmer's wood glue or latex paint or something like that and seal them ends up as soon as you can. And what that will do is that'll keep them ends from drying out too fast so they won't check crap. Hmm. From that point, if you take a take some wages and split that log into half, split those halves into half. So now you got quarters and depending on the size of the log, if you get some big ones, you can split them into eighths. And from that point, once you get them into staves, at that point, it's, I would say a good one year time frame to be safe on that. If you if you start working it too quick, what will happen is once you remove that bark and get down to that first annual growth ring, if it's not dry yet, it, you're going to get cracks down the back of that bow and then it's essentially firewood at that point i do know that from experience by the way <laughs> sure I'm, i got a little antsy on one of my osage saves i thought it was drier than what it was and i had a had a ring chase the whole length and i let it set in the shop and i come out two days later and it was tracked all the way down that center of the lens on that thing morby i want to back you up just a second to what to something that you just mentioned and we're, we're talking about um talk about what you and this is you know this is maybe getting in the weeds a little bit but i do think it's interesting um and i think other people will too although maybe i'm just weird but anyways um <laughs> the uh talk about the you know you're talking about going 
you know, following the growth ring. I mean, I think, you know, most people would know obviously what growth rings are on trees and stuff, but you know, what does that look like as far as why are you doing that? Like, how does that impact the integrity of the bow? Um, like, you know, I guess just talk about that a little bit, if that makes okay. sense. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. So if, if you don't want to back that bow, you need to chase one annual growth ring from from knock to knock or tip to tip. That whole back of the bow needs to needs to be one growth ring the whole length down. If you if you void that growth ring, um, especially if it's in a working part of the limb, what you're doing is you are creating a spot for that to fail. And what, what will happen is when those limbs are under compression, it makes it very easy for a splinter to lift. Well, once a splinter lifts, it's, you're done. That's, that's the whole purpose of the backing in the first place, like rawhide backing. It's to hold those fibers down, mm. and it doesn't allow those splinters to lift. It's pretty amazing, really. Um, but, but if you can chase one annual growth ring the whole length, um, especially on Osage, you can get away without that. Gotcha. That makes sense. I, I, I hope that kind of answered that. No, no, for sure. For sure. I just, I thought that was, that's just not a term that you hear in, in, in everyday language, you know? And so I think, no, it's, it's, I think, it's, it's good to, I think it's good to bring it to light and just kind of, you know, talk about it a little bit so that people kind of have an idea what, what you mean. But, um, Talk about, uh, you know, another thing I, you know, I see on your Instagram and stuff, you know, tell us about the, you know, what, what tools are you using for this and, um, you know, how, what's your setup like and, um, yeah, let me just touch on that a little bit. Sure. So it's a, it's a pretty crude setup and that was one thing that really kind of appealed me to this is you don't have to have much. You can get a little more extravagant if you want to, but really. If you have a, a decent draw knife, maybe two, one kind of dull, one kind of sharp, but what, what, one is plenty, you can make one work. A draw knife, a chainsaw, some splitting wedges, you can get a lot of stuff done with that. Um, a, a farrier's rasp, a good farrier's rasp is, is very handy. Um, Believe it or not, that is going to do most of the work. There, depending on what you're getting into, there are some places where you can use like a, like planes or spoke shaves, um, but it's not it's not needed. That first bow, that bow that I built out of ash, the the only power tool I used on that was the chainsaw to cut the tree down. That was it. From then on, it was all hand tools. Hmm. Um, some guys will use band saws to make a little quicker work of thinning the limbs down. Um, but you also have to be kind of careful with doing that too. Um, you, wh whatever the grain of the wood does, you, you need to go with it. And you'll, you'll know when you start shaving stuff off with that draw knife, it, it's, it'll follow the natural grain of that wood. And you, and you kind of have to go with that. If you start cutting across grains a lot, you're going to start making weak points. So that's where I kind of try to stay away from saws as much as I can, because you don't know when you're cutting through that, you're just you're going. 
you know, there's no way to tell what that natural grain is doing. But I really, it don't take much. Very few tools to get started. Glass bows is a little different story. Laminated bows. Yeah. Yeah, I remember my, my uncle Dale used to, he made long bows for a couple years there. Well, several years, actually. And boy, howdy, that's a process, man. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, I, I haven't done it myself as far as like a laminated bow. But yeah, there's a few more steps involved. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was impressive, all the, uh, you know, the forms and the, I mean, he had, I don't even remember, I think you had, you had to have a, I want to say like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do it justice, I'm, not, I'm just going to leave it at that, it was, it was more, it was more complex than that, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I, I hear you. But, uh, yeah, no. No, that's really cool, man. I uh, I definitely appreciate that. Just, you know, that very, uh, I don't know, just there's something something to be said about that sort of primitive, um, I don't know, just like sort of gets you back to it, everything. It, I, I, know, I know exactly what you're saying without saying it, Kyle, and I don't really know how to word it myself either, but kind of primal almost you know like like a deeper connection i think in my opinion i look at a lot of those traditional guys and it's like there's something there that you know we don't have in modern times that you know i i even think about like the native native americans you know they made all their stuff on their own and they had a deeper connection to what they hunted than we ever will you know we think we're connected with the stuff we hunt it's just i know i know exactly what you're trying to say but no that's I feel like with traditional guys, that's something that we don't have. Well, and, you know, and it is just a lot more that goes with it. I've always thought that I had been pretty good at getting fairly close to deer. Um, but I quickly realized a few years ago that if I was going to kill anything with a recurve, I was going to have to get better at it. And I have had so many super close encounters with deer this last couple of years it's just unreal you know um it's been a blast it's been a blast yeah no absolutely um yeah no it's uh it's just i don't know it's it's just cool to me but um yeah one thing i had written down here um you know, you, you did kind of touch on them a little bit. Um, talk about uh, just as far as somebody that wanted to get into it, let's say, you know, came to your doorstep and said, Orby, could you tell me what, what things I shouldn't do if I was going to start doing this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know if there's enough paper to write that down. <laughs> um, so I, okay yeah I'll, I'll try to think how to go about this I'll, I'll tell you this before we get too far into that so w- when I when I first started shooting traditional at first obviously I struggled but pretty quickly I got pretty good and when I say pretty good I'm talking 15 20 yards being able to consistently put them in there where they need to be then I plateaued, and I, trust me, Kyle, I shot thousands and thousands of arrows, and I just, it seemed like I was just going nowhere. So actually just 
this last summer, I decided, because I've made my mind up, traditional is what I want to do. I've decided I have got to figure something out to get better. And so I started researching. And, you know, I know a, a few guys that shoot traditional, but not very many. So I did not have a lot of people to go to. So I did what everybody did and went to the Internet. There are some guys, if there's anybody looking to get into to traditional, really anybody shooting a bow at all, I would reference a few guys to follow. Um, one of those guys is Tom Clum Sr. He's with RMS Gear out in Colorado. I've been following him, and it has literally changed the way I shoot a bow. I wish I knew now, 17 years ago when I started shooting a comp, come to find out now I shot a compound wrong for my whole life and I was a pretty decent shot you know if I would have known now it it, kind of makes me want to pick the old Matthews back up again just to see what I can do with it Mm -hmm. um as far as the back tension and release goes I thought I had it come to find out I did not um, he explained back tension in a way that had never been explained to me, and the light bulb just went off. I would definitely follow Tom Clum Sr. He he does the mechanics, the body mechanics part of archery. Joel Turner is another one I would reference. Um, he's got a program out there called Shot IQ. Anybody that's dealing with any kind of target panic, which is everybody at yeah. some point, if not forever, whether they think they have it or not, they probably do shot anxiety whatever you want to call it that's his specialty amazing information um those are two guys i would definitely definitely take a look at they could help you out way more than i could um but i've come to learn body mechanics form release back tension follow through if it was important with a compound, it's 10 times more important with that recurve because any little flaw, if for, this is for me personally, if I slip on anything in my shot sequence, it'll, it'll go flying. But if you can do consistently, it is pretty amazing how accurate a guy can be with it. Orby, are you shooting instinctive or are you gap shooting? Or, uh... <laughs> that is a. That is a, opening up a can of worms with that question because there's a lot of controversy over what instinctive really is. Sure, yeah. So starting out, I shot what I would like to consider purely instinctive. I did not reference the point of my arrow, at least if I did, it was subconsciously, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking at where I wanted to hit and I was letting it rip. Now, since I have got the information I have over this last summer following some of these guys, I have changed that a little bit. I still do shoot instinctive out to 25 yards. From that point on, I will start to reference the tip of I will start gapping. Mm-hmm. Right now, with with my bow, my arrow setup, my point on is forty five yards. If I get if I get real precise, it's probably closer to forty six or forty seven. But that that's getting pretty touchy. 
I can stand back to 45 yards, but the top of my point of what I want to hit, and as long as I do my part, as far as my form and release goes, I can put them in a softball size hole at 45 yards if I do my part. Now, hunting scenario, I'm not quite there yet. Um, so I'm trying, I guess I'm kind of doing both to answer your question. Yeah, no, I'm just curious. I mean, yeah, yeah. Once I get out to those, those further yardages, that's where I start to reference my point. It can, but there's guys that do that from 10 yards out, you know, um, those, a lot of those guys are shooting, you know, a fixed crawl where they're, where they're hooking their fingers, you know, an inch or two below the knock of the arrow to get that arrow closer to their eye. They can make a lot smaller gap. I hook three under right below the knock. So I got a pretty big gap still right out of the gate. So 20 yards, I got a pretty big gap. You know, it's, it's a couple foot under what I'm trying to hit. Yep. Yep. No, I totally, I totally understand. That's yeah. Totally get it. Um, yeah, no, it's interesting. You you haven't you haven't done the finger walking yet, huh? <laughs> you know what? Um, I I tell you what. If I was going to do a lot more three D archery, that's what I would probably be doing. Yeah. Um, you know, if if a guy if a guy really wanted to be good, you get yourself an ILF rig and tune it to allow you to string walk. It is a deadly way to do it. Hunting application, it would be pretty tough. Yeah, I think for me personally, it would be pretty tough. Yeah, no, I think you're right on. I think it. I think it has a lot more sort of, like you mentioned, kind of, um, maybe more in the realm of of uh, target shooting. I would say, but that's just an opinion. I don't know. I, I was just reading about some of that today, so I just it just got me thinking. But <laughs> yeah, you know. For anybody to look looking to get into this, I would highly recommend looking into gap shooting. Um, there are some some old crusties out there that will argue that that is not traditional, <laughs> but it is a quick way to get accurate with it. And for if we want to get people into traditional archery, and I know that NBA is not all traditional archery there's about archery in a whole but as far as the traditional side goes you know if we want to get people into it we need to they need to enjoy it and it's a lot more to hit stuff that you're aiming at than it is missing i mean that is a quick way to get accurate with it to where you can get out in the woods and start chasing stuff and feel confident with your shots yeah definitely absolutely Orby, I was going to ask you, what are you shooting for an arrow setup as far as hunting goes? Um, okay, so right now I am shooting I, – I, I just switched, actually, to some Black Eagle vintages. Um, I'm shooting carbon arrows, and I'm shooting a pretty heavy FOC. I'm shooting 200-grain broadheads, single bevel with brass inserts. So I'm, I'm pushing 250 grains up front so far in, you know, don't take this for what it's worth. Cause I haven't shot a, you know, pilot deer with it, but I'll put a few on the ground with it. 
and I've had clean pass-throughs, arrows sticking in the dirt on every one. Um, those two blades obviously aren't known for their amazing blood trails, but I think all of the deer, all the deer that I've shot with them, I have seen go down inside. You know, that they do the damage, and and they're known for, if you're hitting that scapula, which obviously we try not to, but if you do, you know, those those single bevels are known for plowing through that. Uh, I've had an amazing luck with them. Um, turkeys, I would probably stick with the three blade. Um, everything else, though, I'd go with two, single bevel. Um, along those lines, um, Orby, I, I was wanting to ask you about specifically it seems to me and maybe maybe i'm uh misled in this um um i'm trying to think of the right word maybe i'm misled in this thought process i guess but um it seems that there's been kind of a almost a revolution of like um just tuning um traditional bows here within even within the last i don't know like it seems like past couple years and maybe it's just that it's more kind of maybe the information's more readily available but man i see a lot of stuff about it and i don't you want to just talk on that and how how you went about your process and what you did and um anyways just go ahead yeah i i think you're exactly right kyle it has there's been an explosion of it this last couple few years i think i think there's two reasons why is my opinion number first and foremost is we have the information to do it now you know who do you know it doesn't have a smartphone i mean the information is there you know these you know this last generation the one before number one they didn't have the information and number two they didn't have they probably didn't know anybody else doing it anyway so it was truly the school of hard knocks so credit to those guys that did figure it out but one, the information is there now and it is available. Another thing, this generation coming up, um, our generation, I think a lot of these guys are a lot more techie and they just like to fidget with stuff and they, they just enjoy it. Um, there are some guys out there that have a program they got going on called The Push. I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys have heard about The Push or not. They do all kinds of stuff. Uh, they do a lot of YouTube videos. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I've seen some of their YouTube videos and stuff. Yeah. Like, um, so the YouTube, some of those guys. Yeah, he's he's part of the group. The two guys that started it, their names are Matt Zernzak and Tim Nebel. They're from, I think, uh, Pennsylvania-ish area, somewhere up around there. But anyway, they got, they got information that they're putting out there as far as tuning and shooting and form that, I mean – they got it all anybody look for any of that 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 is another place to be looking um you know they're tied in with, with those guys that i mentioned earlier it's kind of a pretty tight-knit circle of these guys punching information out there um but i highly suggest following them um even just for tuning it's a lot easier to shoot a bow that's shooting straight arrows than one that isn't um it's 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 amazing really and there's there's not a whole lot to it it's just guy needs a little guidance to get started yeah no that's a good point yeah yeah it's just amazing to me i mean the you know i 
follow like oh Aaron Snyder a little bit on Instagram. <laughs> I mean, yeah. man, that guy, he just like he is all into that, man. And yeah, it's, I, it's, it's funny you bring him up. I actually just got done listening earlier today. I was working out here in the shop. I was listening to an episode of uh, the Stickbow Chronicles podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. And he's he's on there quite a bit. He's a pretty frequent guest on there. And I was listening to an episode with him on there today. I get a I get a kick out. He he don't hold much back. <laughs> no, he doesn't. Uh, By the way, um, not not that we have any um, uh, affiliation with Stickbow Chronicles in any way, shape, or form, but man, they have some really good podcasts. If anybody's listening to this podcast and um, wants some uh, um, additional listening material, um, they do. And not only Stickbow stuff; they have plenty of comp. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but who was the guy that we that that uh, you told me about that episode? There was two in a row, Zach. Do you remember that guy's name? Oh, uh, it's the Super Slam guy with the self bow. Yeah. Oh, what's it? Can't even Can't think remember. of his name. You know what? I should I should know that one too, but I'm drawing a blank on it. Yeah. Anyways, just just as a little plug there. Again, we we're not being paid by the Stick Bow Chronicles to promote their podcast. Just FYI, but no. <laughs> Dennis Dunn. That's who it is. Yeah. Dennis Dunn, he got he got the North American twenty nine all with the self bow. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty fascinating episode. That's the one I was thinking of. There was a different one. Uh, wasn't there a guy that he talked about some of the crazy encounters with like grizzly bears and was that the same guy? That was him. Yeah, where he uh, okay. he hit the grizzly bear in the elbow. Was it that one where it? Oh went yeah, in? yeah, yeah. That's the same. Yeah, guy. yeah. Dennis, Dennis Dunn. All right, never yeah. mind. Disregard. But yeah. No, it, no, that's an excellent episode. You want to listen to some good hunt stories and yeah. just a fascinating guy yeah. in general. But. Yeah. yeah, for sure. But anyways, sorry. Um, but yeah, I, I guess that's that. Thanks, Warby, for sharing that. I, I, like I said, I just I've noticed that just here recently, especially with the, um, you know, I I just, you know, I I felt like I, I just you just don't remember hearing that at all. No, well, like I said, it's it's because the information is out there yeah. now. You know, you you can get as technical as you want with it, mm-hmm. or you can do what I'm doing and try to whittle a piece of wood to shoot an arrow. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, if you want to be real precise. That's probably not the route to go. But yeah, some of these guys shooting ILF rigs. I mean, geez, they're tuning. It's 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 out of this world. You know what they can do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, Snyder, he shoots out to, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 yards pretty consistently, oh, yeah. like, you know, with the. Oh, yeah. He's, like, a, yeah. He, he's a. I'm not saying the guy hasn't worked to be a good shot because obviously you don't get like that without practice, but yeah. Yeah, he's, he's one of them guys, I think he's just a unicorn. I mean, it's just in his DNA. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. There, there's a there's a few of them out there, but not very many. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, yeah. No, I mean that's that's great stuff, man. Um, um, let's see. I was just looking through my list here. Um, any, anything you got, Zach? I, I have a few more, but if you had anything on your mind. No, I don't think so. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say, uh, Orby, why don't you talk? I know you do. Uh, so I mean, not only are you hunting with a stick bow, um, 
but you're also hunting on the ground. <laughs> you want to you want to talk to us about just you know your um, specifically. I I, I want to hear about your your hunt from this fall that you shot that buck and um, yeah yeah maybe about you know just why you you know maybe why you like hunting on the ground um, you know if it's out of necessity or just that's what you like to do and um, yeah I'd just be interested. I think we'd just be interested to hear that. So go ahead. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, some, some of it is out of necessity on this, on this one property I'm hunting. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, I, I got mixed feelings about hunting on the ground. Obviously it's got its time and place as far as ground blinds go. It, man, I, I would not say that that would be my top choice to shoot out of a ground blind. Um, one of the main reasons I say that is you're trying to maneuver uh you know 60 inch bow inside a blind some of them blinds get pretty small pretty quick <laughs> when you're trying to get that done yeah especially if you can't the bow at all um i have i have missed a lot of shot opportunities because i just couldn't i just couldn't get my bow i couldn't get in the window to shoot yeah um but that being said, I have also been able to get really close to a lot of critters with them, too. Some of these places I'm hunting, the way the trees are, I mean, it's just a lot of little willows and stuff in this swampy river. But there just isn't anywhere to put a tree stand. Yeah. That's, um, that's kind of what I wondered, but I just, you know, I just thought. Yeah. It. Yeah, some of the places there just isn't. So, I mean, you're stuck to either ground blind or just hunting straight off the ground, which I have done a little bit this year. Probably the first time ever since I shot my first deer of my life, I shot him just sitting on the ground. But you can get pretty close just sitting on the ground. Um, it's it's pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, that that buck I shot this year, he was out of a blind, and I was I was sitting over this scrape, and he come he come through. I seen him coming, and he was coming super slow. He was about 50 yards out there coming super slow and I don't know what I don't know if he caught a whiff of a hot doe or what happened but all of a sudden he just took off screaming coming straight at me and he was about ready to blow right down through this I was hoping he was going to stop and check this scrape but he wasn't slowing down he was he was hauling and he got to my window and I just let out a little grunt and by that time I was at full draw and he stopped looked and by the time he looked at her it was going and took the top of his heart off ran out there about oh by the time he zigzagged a little bit probably about 40 yards and piled up got to see him go down so that was that was pretty cool i called uh called my wife and told her to bring the bring the kids out so she brought parker and molly and you know Parker, he's three and a half years old. Well, that was his first blood trail. He got to go on that was <laughs> that was pretty entertaining. Luckily, we had a little bit of snow, so the blood was pretty easy to follow. But sure, even then I kind of had to hurt him, hurt him in the right direction. But it was <laughs> we got all that on video. And it was pretty. It was pretty special. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I can't wait for that. Uh, I uh, I mean, I don't I don't want to hurry my little girl growing up any faster but she just turned one here this last weekend but um but no i i do i do get excited about some of that stuff for sure but. yeah it's pretty cool we found uh so if we, we found that deer 
And he wasn't quite sure what to think at first. He kind of just looked at it, and I'm like, you can you can touch it if you want to. He's like, okay. So he walked up and touched it and felt the antlers, and then it was pretty cool. You know, he was digging that. Yeah. He looked up at me, and he says, let's go find another one. <laughs> <laughs> Buddy, I wish it was that simple. But... Yeah, I wish it was, too, sometimes. <laughs> That's great. Let's let's go find another one. They're just laying out here, Dad. <laughs> well, as far as he knew, they were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Oh man. Um. Awesome. Well, um. I think I had just a couple other things to kind of, kind of hit on here. Um. You know, I. I hesitate to bring this up a little bit, but I, I think people would enjoy listening to it. Um, cause I know you and I have talked before about this and, um, you know, I know you do a lot of, uh, different meat processing stuff and, um, you know, I know you built a smoker and you do a lot of canning stuff and, um, I don't know, take one of those and run with it. Your choice, dealer's choice. Oh boy. <laughs> Boy, that's a never-ending subject right there, too. Uh, yeah, I guess we'll just go with the with the meat processing, I guess. Um, yeah, that'd be great. So, yeah, I've pretty much done that, really. Really, forever. Um, I took one deer to a locker one time years ago. It was not – it wasn't a bad experience, but it wasn't a good experience either. I was kind of let down, and it cost a lot of money. And, um i just have always done it myself it's pretty pretty self-rewarding um for me anyway when you can take it start to finish you know and do what you want with it and know it's taken care of the way it should be taken care of and you know a lot of these lockers are doing good i, I don't mean to bash them um no, I know exactly what you mean, though. <laughs> I don't. I think anybody that does it, I think would would one hundred percent agree with you. And it's just, I don't know, just a little bit of little bit of pride in it, you know, knowing that you can that you can do it and make exactly what you want how you want it. Um, I will say, anybody that wants to do that, I highly suggest dropping the coin and getting a good grinder. Amen, dude. One of the best investments I have made in my life, and I should have done it a long time ago. Um, I went through a lot of cheap grinders. If I went through enough of them. If I'd have just bought a good one right off the bat, I'd have been money ahead. Yeah. Um, what do you got now, Orby? I, I got a carnivore, Cabela's Carnivore, yeah. one horse. I got the one horse. Oh man, um, you got the one. Oh, well, I was I was actually gonna buy the three quarters. <laughs> I knew that would be more than plenty for what sure. I was tackling. Sure. Um, but some of the attachments I was looking to get was only compatible with the one horse or up. Gotcha. So that kind of like ah shell out a few more bucks and just do it. And I'm glad I did, but man, that thing is a lifesaver. It it is. I I giggle every time I use that thing. It actually makes it enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, man. Those those grinders. I mean, I got a three quarter horse LEM, and I mean that thing just. Yeah. I mean, is that I, that is that that big bite? Yep. Yep. Yeah. No. It it. 
man, that thing just freaking – you can't hardly feed it fast enough. But no, uh, no, you can't. See, and I was actually leaning I, – I shouldn't say leaning towards I – w- I was torn between the LEM, um, the Big Bite, you know, or the Carnivore from Cabela as well. Mm-hmm. I had a few Cabela's points that needed sure, used up. Sure. So. Yep, understood. Understood. Who who makes that for Cabela's? Do you know? Or... You know what? I honestly couldn't even tell you, Kyle. I'm not sure. I want to say it's Weston, but I might have made it, that up. It but... may be, um, but I do not know that for a fact. Anyways. And you know, I actually looked that up a few years ago too, but I don't remember. Yeah. Anyhow, yeah. I just that's just. Yeah, I, I totally agree though. Get a grinder if you really want to do it, and you want to be serious about it. Get a grinder and just do it. Yeah. It it is an investment, you know. Depending on what you get, you're looking at four or five hundred bucks. Yeah. Depending on depending on what route you go, but a good grinder is going to last you probably a few generations if it's taken care of the way it should be. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, and you figure, you know, you're probably spending two hundred bucks to get a deer processed at least. I mean, right, right. Know, boom. Oh yeah. Years, it don't... You know, you there orby yep i'm here oh sorry i lost you there for one sec but you still there yeah i'm here can you hear me oh yeah sorry i yeah you're good yeah, no. Um it like it cut out for a second or something, but yeah, it cut out. But um yeah, and then I guess the other thing, um yeah, I don't know, we could talk about this for forever, but <laughs> I don't know. Tell us tell us about your smoker. That's that's kinda I think that's cooler or neater than uh I don't know, I just think that's pretty cool. So tell us about that a little bit. Okay. Well I I've made a couple of them now, but this this last one I built I built out of a it's a barrel smoker built out of a fifty five gallon drum. Um, I haven't used it a whole lot. I've only burned it you know five or six times, but so far it's working really good. I made a uh, vertical smoker out of it, and the reason I did that is you know I like to smoke salami and sausage and all that stuff you know so I wanted something I could hang some stuff in and have have room to do it. I took, uh, so the whole chamber for the meat, it's a solid 55-gallon drum. I took like a third of another drum and welded it to the bottom of that one. And then I cut a hole between the two. I hope this is making sense. I hope you're following me here. Yep. So that very bottom portion, that's that's my fire chamber. And what I'm doing is I'm burning, I'm burning lump charcoal in there. I got a basket that I made that I'm filling full of charcoal, lighting that, put my wood chips in there. And, you know, I got that hole cut between the two so the smoke and heat and everything can come up. And then I have two three-quarter inch ball valves that I plumbed into the bottom of the smoker. And what I'm doing with them is controlling my airflow. More air, hotter, the, you know, more oxygen is coming in. Obviously, the hotter it's burning, the hotter it is in there. And that's how I that's how I control that heat is by opening and closing the valves. And I was actually I was kind of skeptical on how that was going to work, but it has worked really good. I'm very amazed at how steady and how precise you can hold that temperature, um, like that. But it's it's worked really good. Um, 
did the turkey in it for Thanksgiving. Worked awesome. Um, one basket, one basket of charcoal. It'll burn. Jeez, I don't even know. Solid ten or twelve hours, maybe more. Mm-hmm. Um, I may fabricate it to where I can also put a gas burner in there. Um, I have not done that yet, but it may be an option. Ran out of charcoal the other day, halfway through a smoke, so that was kind of disappointing. But <laughs> darn it, <laughs> I thought I I thought I had enough to get it done, but come to find out, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, live and learn. Um, but yeah, no, it's working good. Um, it's a heck of a lot cheaper than going to buy a smoker that size. Yeah, no, no, for jeez, you want to talk about expensive? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. You want to fork over some money for a grinder? Holy shnikes. You look at some of those those smokers that, I mean, oh my gosh, those things are unreal. Well, I just said, I've got, I don't even, geez, I don't even know for sure. I've got maybe 20 bucks wrapped up into this thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, other, than, other than, you know, a little bit of, little bit of sweat and blood, but it's not, I mean, I pretty much build it in a day. Yeah. But, I mean, a, a lot of these, Smokers, you're looking at it, you know, I don't know, Menards or Walmart or whatever, you know, they're so small. I mean, if if you're processing deer and making sausage and stuff, it just don't cut it. Yeah. Unless you want to put, you're going to be doing a lot of trips through the smoker to get that stuff done. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's why I wanted to make one that size. And it's, it's, it's nice. It's handy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've been in the throes of doing this, uh, I got an old fridge from my mother-in-law and I've been trying to trying to get this uh, <clears throat> all figured out and I was thought I was going to finish it the other day and then I ended up drilling a hole in the side and there was a bunch of brown looking insulation in there that got me a little worried and <laughs> but I did I did some more research and I don't it, it I'm pretty sure it's just it's it's benign it's nothing not a big deal at all so they used uh you're not going to be burning asbestos anyway. It's not. It's not asbestos. Is what, <laughs> is what, I, is what I've been. Is, is what I've come to the conclusion based on some other guys that have renovated some of those old fridges. It's very similar to the one I got. So, but uh, yeah, that was that's one thing I was a little worried about. I got <laughs> got to drilling it, and I was like, oh, um, hmm, maybe I better maybe I better just tape this up here real quick and yeah do a little more looking but no it, it's it's I a, think a lot of guys go that route man there's been a lot of smokers made out of them old them old refrigerators yeah this one's this one's a pretty cool old fridge too so i'm excited to i don't know i, I gotta get it finished up but i just haven't uh haven't done it yet but probably this weekend maybe we'll see but anyway so um well i uh I guess that's pretty much, I think we covered about everything I had. Um, I don't know, Zach, you got anything else or any other questions, anything? or? Not that I know of. Warby, do you have any, I guess one thing we usually have guests talk about, do you have a favorite hunt or favorite memory or something from hunting that you want to talk about or share with us? Oh, man. Uh, you're kind of putting me on the spot on that one. <laughs> It always does. Makes you think, though. 
It boy, it does. I'm having flashbacks already, actually. Um, pro probably one of the coolest hunts that I've been on was uh, it's been a few years back now when I, I shot this muley, and it's it's pretty special for, for a few different reasons, but so me and Jake Runyon and Eric Albrecht and Andrew Ford and Mike Albrecht were up hunting out in western Nebraska. Spotted this muley bed and I went in to make a stock on this thing. And Andrew Ford was right behind me. And then hanging back about 100 yards was, was Eric and Mike and Jake were off somewhere else. So I end up, long story short, without going into too much detail, I ended up smoking this muley. And today, this is still the biggest muley I'd ever shot. And I smoked this thing, and he he piled up right in front of us. And I turned around, and, you know, Andrew, who obviously is no longer with us, was, you know, I, I think he ran up there and was lifting me off the ground before this thing was even dead, you know. <laughs> look back a hundred yards back there and I see Eric standing up and he couldn't quite see exactly what happened but obviously he knew I must have got it because you know Andrew had me lifted clear up in the air yeah so that's obviously a, a pretty special hunt to have everybody there for that one and the icing on the cake was so we get this gear back to camp and we meet back and Mike and Jake end up coming back well <laughs> I, nobody knew this at the time, but Jake had missed that same deer a few hours prior to me killing it. So it's still a little salt in the wound every time he's over <laughs> at my house because the mouth's on the wall. <laughs> uh, yeah. That was, that was a pretty special one. Yeah. I think I've heard that story a few times from... from there's, the yeah, there's probably a pretty good chance. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great, man. Yeah, you know, you, you really treasure those memories, especially, uh, you know, in those, I mean, that's obviously a um, pretty special case there, just with Andrew being there and everything, so, but uh, pretty cool. Um, I don't know, I guess that's why we do it, you know? <laughs> that's right. Stuff like that, so. Yep, wouldn't change it for anything. It was pretty neat. Yeah, absolutely. It was it wasn't with a stick though, but it was still pretty cool. Yeah, hell yeah, man. You know. <laughs> yeah, no, I yeah, you know it's uh, yeah, good stuff, man. Very good. Um, awesome. Well, that's about all I got. Zach, got anything else? No, that's all I got too. Orby, any final thoughts, any closing thoughts, anything you got? Uh, no, not too much. Just, uh, you know, if there's anybody out there, any listeners kind of looking for a – kind of getting in a rut and looking for a new challenge, maybe think about a stick bow. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It can, be, it can be pretty humbling, but it is, it is a lot of fun. And the, the information's out there. You know, if anybody's got questions, I'm more than happy to help however I can. Um, my knowledge only goes so far, but there are other guys out there. The information's out there to do it. So have at it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, very good. Well, thanks again, Orby, for 
joining us tonight and um yeah it's just a great podcast but we'll just wrap it up here and um yeah i guess this is kyle clomer and this is zach welch and this is good life bow hunter the official podcast of the nba you bet take care guys we'll chat again soon